My name is Hanson Oak, and I want to tell you a story, but not my story. Not this time. In this series between seasons of The Recalling, as I work to wrap up a book or two while traveling, I invite you to reach out to me and tell me where you live. In turn, I'll tell you what stands just beyond the shadows. All you have to do is ask. In this short-ish episode, listener and longtime welcoming spirit Tess has asked what wonders await in a place like London. The short answer is many. London today is a vibrant, diverse, beautiful city that continues to place the bricks of the modern world atop the cornerstone of history. It is a place under constant reinvention to meet the needs of the people who live there and the world beyond its borders. But the tradition of building over its history is precisely what I would like to focus on. To understand London, you need to understand Paris, which is another wonderful city to the south of the UK. Though it's in a country whose others have never treated me kindly, it does have a similar pastime of rebirth. The famous catacombs that hold up the modern city are not as old as many imagine, dating back only to the beginning of the 1800s. It also wasn't a monument to its dead, as some believe, but a solution to a problem. Not far from where the catacombs are found was a large mass grave used by all the city to bury their dead. But time and the French Revolution caught up with the city, and soon the stench and volume of owns began to cause a problem. It was said that basement walls and nearby buildings had sometimes buckled due to the weight and soil of the skeletons pushing against them. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the city, another issue overlooked for a long time was beginning to cause problems to the growing metropolis. Many of the large, beautiful structures in Paris are built of stone. This material was taken from quarries outside of the city, but the city began to expand into these areas, building over them, a structurally questionable move that was coming back to haunt them as a past forgotten or ignored tends to do. Sinkholes were opening in the city streets and buildings were collapsing into the voids left from when the stone was taken below them. So to solve both issues, France began to exhume the bones from around the city and place them into the tunnels and caverns on the other side of the city limits. And while I find this whole process fascinating and can go on exhaustively, I'm positive my digression has left you asking what this has to do with London. You see, like its metropolitan neighbor to the south, London has its own history of expansion and building over the dead of the past, quite literally. In my library, I have found multiple mentions of a woman named Ardith, an Anglo name meaning one fighting the good fight. Now, whether she was given this name at birth or later does not make it any less fitting, but we'll get to that in a minute. Ardith was what was known then as a reclaimer. This was a group of people who provided a service most would not and did so because they had no other options due to their peculiarities. Ardith, like most other reclaimers, was disfigured. How exactly, I can't say with any certainty, but from the odd description here and there, I have a few theories. It was said that Ardith was half-hunched, meaning that one shoulder was droop or set forward and lower than the other, a skeletal issue perhaps. Her face was described as, quote, sinful to observe in one entry, while in others it was described as, quote, pocked as a dimpled stretch of discolored and discarded clay, or, quote, like a candle lit in the night and left until morning unattended. This makes me think that she was scarred, maybe her reward for surviving a bout with smallpox, or maybe she'd been kissed by the flame of a fire. 
The only other observation noted in my collection says she spoke in a whisper that, quote, were felt more than heard by a voice that stole one's breath for its own so it might speak. I always enjoy the descriptive prowess of past writers. Perhaps without phones or TVs to distract them, they were left with the time to focus and find just the right words in just the right order. So that is what Ardith looked like to the best descriptions we have, but what about her profession? What was a reclaimer? There was a period of time in England, and London specifically, where the wealthy sought to collect and reassemble their lineages, literally. They would pay handsomely for a genealogist to reconnect the lost branches of their family tree, and then seek out a reclaimer to go and collect the bones of their ancestors. Knowing now how a proper graveyard is a modern convenience and how cities were careless at best with their dead in the past, you can glean how difficult an undertaking this was. Then consider how fear, superstition, and disgust grew with the church's presence and power in the region, and you can understand why only those banished to the fringes would take on such a, quote, unholy and miserable profession that even rats and roaches would turn away in favor of a drawn-out but respectable starvation, as a local bishop once described the macabre trade. Of all the reclaimers, of which there were many at the height of this familial reconstruction, Ardith was the best. Well, how do I know? She is the only one mentioned by name on multiple accounts. She worked for multiple families, but eventually she was retained solely by the Winnett family of central London, who lived in a large mansion known as the House of Howling on account of their many large dogs who would frequently bark and call out at all hours of the day and night. For years, she tracked down and returned to them the remains of their past family in a process that went like this. First, a genealogist digs up the records, no pun intended, and pinpoints where the deceased great-uncle or whoever has been buried. This could be in a cemetery with unmarked graves, or under a road or building constructed over wherever the gravesite had been undiscovered or ignored. Once verified, Ardith would be called and told where to go. She would then arrive in the graveyard and begin digging, or dismantle a cobblestone intersection stone by stone or knock on the door of a business or a residence to explain, hiding under a hood or cloak, I'd imagine, who had sent her and why before compensating them for their troubles and the damage she might inflict. And she'd head to the basement and begin digging or wherever the bones are rumored to have been in the structure. For her effort, she would be paid up to 20 shillings per bone, a skull being the most valuable and working its way down to the foot, literally, as the toe bones and unidentified small foot bones were worth only a few pence. For years, she was kept busy in the employ of the Winnets, and all was good as good as it could be for a woman of her station, anyway. And then something happened. Going by what I can find, it seems that our dear Ardith stumbled upon something she should not have. In one version, she realized that she was being asked to find the remains of infants and children the family had killed to redirect their line of heirs and thin the herd hungry for inheritance. In another account, she's said to have discovered the remains of creatures that were odd, not deformed but evolutionarily designed with large teeth and ghoulish proportions that the Winnet were trying to resurrect. No matter the truth, the end was the same. Ardith was killed for knowing what she should not know. One night, she was called to the home of the Winnets, taken to the basement, and was torn apart by the vicious dogs the family employed. When they were finished tearing the flesh from her bones, her remains were scattered throughout the London countryside. A tragic end to a tragic life, to be sure. The dogs, it was said, died soon after. 
artist's flesh was so diseased that it poisoned the animals in the house of Howling went silent. The Winnets fled the house in short order claiming that it was haunted, a claim echoed by many owners of the home in the centuries to follow, and of which I witnessed personally, but that's another story for another time. As for Ardith, she is not the spirit haunting the House of Howling, at least not full-time. She wanders the streets of London, which was once the countryside, looking for her own bones this time. Many have said they've seen her pulling up the brick or cobblestone roadways or digging immense pits in graveyards or backyards. Most importantly, Miss Tess, a word of caution. It's also been recorded that she will knock on the doors of homes and businesses in the dead of night. If you don't answer, she will soon return and knock again, and again, and again. And if you answer, you will find a deformed, disfigured woman hiding from scrutiny under a dirty cloak or hood, asking for her bones. Now I beg of you to let her in. If you do, she will go straight to the basement or the lowest part of the home or building and disappear, never to return. But. If you deny her access to ease her lost soul, well, she will be standing behind you when you close the door. Her ragged, short fingers with their bulbous, arthritic joints will lower her hood to reveal the last thing you will ever see. Her deformed face with maggots filling her eyes and the rotted, sharply shattered teeth will look upon you, and just before you can scream, before you can believe that this is actually happening and it's no nightmare, that you are in more danger now than you've ever been before, she will grab hold of you and begin to pull the bones, one by one, from your body. They will pop and break and tear away, and she will pluck the teeth from your jaws, and then the jaws themselves. As you scream the best you can, she will devour that suffering before it can reach the ears of any who might help, not that they could. What will be left of you is a mess of pulp and splatter, unrecognizable even when compared to the carcass of a deer left on the highway for too long and reformed under endless tires. So Tess, if you find yourself enjoying an evening at home and a knock should rattle your door, I hope you show her the same kindness that you've shown me over the years. Did you enjoy this tale? Who? Me? Who are you talking to? No, the listener. What are you talking to them for? The story's done, they've gone on, haven't they? Well, maybe not. Maybe they'll listen to us little grivels for a bit. Mr. Oak ain't the only one with a story to share. I have things to say. What things? Like, maybe if they enjoyed themselves, they should subscribe or follow or leave a review. Don't be telling them what to do. I'm not. It's not polite ordering those poor folks to do things, especially since they ain't here for you. They came for Mr. Oak, didn't they? Well, how do you know they ain't come for us? Because they don't even know who we are. All I'm saying is it's good manners to subscribe or follow or leave a review, isn't it? Is this recording? Did you hit the button? Oh, I thought you hit the button. Oh, dear. Mr. Oak won't be happy.